Yeah. Welcome to Cult America, where we discuss the weird, wonderful, and worrying rituals and sacrifices that make America great. I'm Carl Joseph Black, a Brooklyn native born into the cult that is America. And I'm Lisa Charlotte, a migrant who bought into the cult from afar? Question mark? (laughs) 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 I. (laughs) So Maury would have done it twice. Make America great? Bought in from afar? Question mark? <laughs> um, yeah, I am so glad. So, so sorry because I know this. Um, we have moved to monthly schedule, um, but I know this is later than a month. And the reason is because the night before we were supposed to record is when this row bullshit happened. Yeah. And we thought about recording and then we thought back to our previous episode where we spoke about Roe v. Wade the whole time and decided that maybe it wasn't a good idea to do an episode that day. That episode would have had a lot of, fuck you. I didn't feel like I could be like glowing about America. And I don't want to be deported, so. Yeah, it would have been, it would have been pretty bad. I would have been on here, Clarence Thomas, (laughs) you mother. (laughs) Like, it would have been bad news. So, not to say that we're not still furious, just that we have somewhat calmed down and can actually stay on topic, probably, for the rest of the episode. Um, so America or cults, and this can apply to a couple of things. So this group, uh, blatantly flouts authority, including laws. Oh yeah. That's definitely America. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's too easy. And to be fair, I did type it up like three minutes before we started this episode. (laughs) Um, and this is a conversation. I think this is one of the conversations that we had about America, that made like made us start to do this podcast. So I'm excited to talk about our topic today. But first of all, I want to just quickly touch on our cult this week, um, which is also very topical, I guess, the Westboro Baptist Church. So this is a very small cult. Do you know about them? No. Okay. So they're based in Topeka in Kansas. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really small cult. Like it's like 70 people. And it's mostly a family of this guy called Fred Phelps. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are hyper-Calvinist, which is a – so Calvinism is a branch of Protestant Christianity um, that follows kind of like this Christian practice set down by John Calvin and other Reformation-era guys um, that emphasizes the sovereignty of God and the authority of the Bible. And the hyper-Calvinists are just like, an ex- I guess, an extreme version of that. Uh, so that originated in that term originated in the 19th century. Um, and yeah, it's uh, kind of vague, to be honest. Um, but these guys are the ones who pick it out in front of. Um, but they are pick those, it out. Uh, the, the anti gay people. Yeah, they, they pick it in front of the funerals. Yes. Um, yes, they're the ones who pick it in front of funerals. I originally chose it because it was Pride Month and. Also, it just felt like it fit in with the whole like Roe v. Wade conversations and whatnot. Um, And yeah, but there was a really interesting Supreme Court case around that. Do you know much about, do you know about Supreme Court case about it? Uh, Because you're always better at explaining law stuff than me. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily know about the Supreme Court case around it. Do you know the name of the case? Uh, Snyder versus Phelps? No, I don't know that case. So basically there was a funeral um, that was picketed in Maryland so they would pick it off like this thing, like 30 minutes before the funeral. Um, so the father sued for defamation, invasion of privacy, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. 
Um, and so they awarded Snyder a total of almost $11 million. Oh, so wow. 2.9 million in, in compensatory damages, 6 million in punitive damages for invasion of privacy and 2 million for emotional distress. Wow. Um, and so they tried to go for a mistrial and whatever. And then I think that's when it went to the Supreme Court. Um, yeah, because it sounds like a clash between uh, the right to privacy, mm. if that even exists anymore. Mm. Um, and yeah. Uh, Free speech, yep. the First Amendment, the power to uh, peacefully assemble, even though those Westboro assholes sound like they weren't peacefully assembling. Yeah, not at all. And like to pick at someone's funeral. They're also really anti-Semitic and Islamophobic and they were very against Barack Obama. Um, one of the like Fred's daughters on Fox News said that um, he was most likely the beast spoken of in the revelation. Whoa. Whoa. So that's how you talk about your dad. That's how you do it. No, she said it about Obama. Oh. Yeah. His what? daughter said it about Obama. And I was just like, no, I think he does have a few kids. And like that's what I was watching when you came in today, like who did do or one of his sons has been like very uh very big uh, LGBTQ advocate and also spoken out like strongly against the church and his dad so oh. um yeah hey, that's what he should call his dad what they call oh Barack yeah for Obama sure 100 100 that's exactly who their dad is and so the reason i chose this one today is because for me this like group of 70 people is like so like not it's not that they're against the church but like it seems like they've taken this like massive steps away from the protestant churches and so our cult behavior today is the leader is not accountable to any authorities Unlike, for example, teachers, military commanders, or ministers, priests, monks, rabbis, mainstream religious denominations. And so that's our behavior today. And oh. so we're talking about America versus the world. Okay. Or USA versus the world, I should say. Something that I find as an Australian really interesting. We've spoken about this before. Um, Australia sits in a very interesting position where we are quite equally dependent on America and China. Yeah. But we have very much attached ourselves to the US. Um, so it's interesting seeing the perspective and, and I studied, you know, international politics and everything from the perspective of a, of a small country that's very dependent on America. And then when we talk about um, America in regards to international law, you have a very American perspective. So yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's so interesting to uh, look at America and look at China and the differences in their political philosophy. Um, it's, it's, when I think about China's political philosophy, I'm like, how could y'all even allow that? But like, thinking back historically, I understand. So, like, America's political philosophy is that the law rules everything, right? The law comes first, then comes government. And people, and they both are supposed to be equal, right? So it's the law governing everyone. It could be, you're the president of the United States, you're beholden to the law. You are you? Are, <laughs> right? Uh, you're, you know, some politician beholden to law. Cop, law, right? And then people are also beholden to the law. This right? is in theory. In theory. Yes, cool. In theory. Now, Very important. Now, when you think about China's political philosophy, um, there is the CCP, 
the law and then people. So the CCP is not actually beholden to anything. The law is beholden to the CCP. Yeah, but then you can argue the same is true for America right now. Like, I mean, not in the same. And and definitely I've been to China and um, it is definitely very different in the amount that you can access. For example, like a lot of major websites are banned. Um, I couldn't access my Gmail there. Like they have their own like search engines and stuff. So like it is different. I'm not arguing that, but like yeah. it does feel very like in the light of the last few weeks, like America. Yeah, absolutely. But like American individualism sort of like fucks with it more, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas in China, the conversations, and I had some really interesting conversations with um, people and the places that I was and and their opinions and actually – Oh, my friend who's staying here right now, she she lived in China. I wish I probably should have spoken to her about this before before um before we came on. But uh yeah, it's it's definitely very different. But it's just interesting from, you know, uh a, an international perspective, uh the, and from an Australian perspective specifically, the way that these two powers sort of like loom over us and how much power they have, like when things go wrong. Yeah. Um, and they're both very isolationist um, in their own different ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, China is definitely China. China. I think I actually think that China's name actually means um, it, it, it means it, it's an iteration of the sun. And essentially, the world is supposed to revolve around China. That's like the soft meaning of it, right? And um, the interestingly enough, the U.S. is like the same thing. <laughs> like culturally, it's like the world revolves around us. So it's actually interesting that they have so many similarities. At least they have those similarities. And... They like at this current moment in time hate each other. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to speak too much on it because I never studied. I, I've studied China as broadly as like some. Well, a my studies are a long time ago now. Um, B I'm not like, and I know I should be. I'm not. I've never been particularly that interested in China. Um, it's not like you know the favorite country I've been to. Walking the Great Wall was fucking epic. Like mm. learning about Chinese history and stuff was really interesting. But I don't feel like, and it's not like something that we've delved into in our research. I can speak about China in any kind of way that's like knowledgeable enough. Mm. Um, but just to say that certainly as an Australian, it's interesting. Um, those two countries, I can just say that those two countries loom very heavily on our, um, on us. Mm. Uh, we are not an isolationist country. We are not like a world power in the same way. And so like when you're from a world power, it's like your perception of, history and like this is something that I've noticed when I speak to Americans is very you know rooted in your perception of the world which is very different from the way a small country like Australia would see it um but yes let's talk about um I do want to issue a correction really quickly okay um China China calls the United States the sun ah, I see China calls itself the um middle kingdom or the middle country okay. and essentially what it is is it is it is the in between. Mm -hmm. It's the middle between the heavens and the rest of the world. So essentially, it is. It's implying that it's the center of the world. It's the center of civilization. 
Interesting. So, so I had to correct that before we moved. They on. have certainly positioned themselves <clears throat> in a, in a way, and it became really evident in the pandemic where um, America is so reliant on China for so many exports and um, or imports to us, exports from them, uh, and that really showed itself. So, if if things do come to term, like if something happens, it's going to be. Interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about America because that's what we researched. Yeah. Um, so historically, America did not always have this sort of like cop of the world thing it has now. So, and I think this is pretty widely known, but let's cover it in any case. So they had this very isolationist idea of non-intervention. Um, they were very neutral, like, you know, very Switzerland on everything. And so its first two centuries, America was just kind of chilling, doing its own thing. Um, so this was established by Washington in his farewell address. It was continued by Jefferson and maintained throughout the 19th century. Um, so the first sign of foreign intervention was the Spanish-American War, um, which was over the Philippines, um, which have you been in the Philippines? No. Uh, it's very interesting the way that um, the Spanish and American influences have like coalesced. It feels very American and then also like quite Spanish and then just like also with a Phil- – it's 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 interesting. Um, but uh, that was sort of the first time and then – the other notable time was Roosevelt's incitation of the Panamanian Revolt. Pa- Panamanian Revolt. Panamanian Revolt. Yeah. Sorry, I got five hours of sleep uh, against Colombia to secure the Panama Canal rights in 1904. Um, so in post-World War One, the non-interventionalism continued again. Um, and the non-intervention also contributed to the rise of power of Hitler World in Germany's defeat during World War One. Yeah. And during the Depression. So during the Depression, US focused only on its own issues and it pretty much ignored the outside world, which like it would have been nice in a way if they'd kind of done that. Uh, yeah. For COVID. Who knows? <laughs> Could be very different instead of going fucking around with everybody else. Right. Um, so the interventionalism started, uh, you know, the way that we sort of like America today operates sort of started post-World War II. Um, so there was a huge shift in foreign policy that brought U.S. into direct involvement with other states' affairs. Uh, and this was in response to German uh, fascism, uh, European fascism and German aggression, um, which was uh, brought about by security concerns. So And and Karl Marx. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and also anti-socialism. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think that's really, yeah, I, I just think it's interesting because, like, in our lifetime, it's always been, like, America is, like, the world police and, like, yeah. Team America is such a good movie for this. Um, but, yeah, it's um, it's definitely... Um, it's just so recent. Like right. it's it's not even a hundred years ago that America started behaving this way. Yeah, and and in many ways it had to, right? Mm. Um, and there were many, many different aspects that kind of led to that outcome. So, like, obviously you have Karl Marx, who's like, "Yo, guys, like y'all could like overthrow the rich people and take everything, and then Lenin makes it happen." <laughs> <laughs> And then everybody's like, oh, my God, the Bolsheviks are going nuts that we can't allow that to happen here. So America's like, we got to do something. Right. And yeah. then obviously World War One, after World War One, you have a huge power shift where America really becomes like a huge stature, even though they kind of jump into World War One a little late. But then World War Two, 
um, that's when they're like, no, we are the police. And mm-hmm. we're actually going to redraw the entire planet now because it's our call. And we're going to make our money the world reserve currency. And we're going to make sure that we <laughs> flush a bunch of US dollars down all over Europe so they can repair. Yeah. And they're going to have to do it under these conditions. And we have to enforce these conditions. Mm. Right. Um, so. So they almost like create this atmosphere, but it's becoming really weird today. Yeah, because um, America's you losing that position yeah. for many, many reasons. But I do have a funny story which I should have put in the isolationist part. Um, so one of my best friends, Jacob, works at the uh, the Smithsonian for Native Americans. Okay. Um, which is down in financial district for people who don't know in the old um, customs house. So this was built between 1901 and 1906. So this is when America was like, we are the best. And this is when they were trying to be like, fuck you, Europe. We can make buildings that are as good as yours, if not better, that you can no longer afford because you know, you're not, you don't have the money anymore. Yeah. And it's the only customs house in the world that faces away from the, from the ocean. So they're like, so every other customs house, they want to make it easy, right? They're like, hey, come in. We want to take your money. Like, please, like, come through. And in New York, we're like, fuck you. You have to walk around. Like, we will have the customs house at the front. So they have, you have to walk all the way around. And then you have to walk up these big ass fucking stairs to get in. And it's this huge, like, beautiful building. Um, Like, amazing, amazing architecture. And I just think that's so funny. Like, it such is. a good capture of that moment in history when Americans were like, no, fuck you. You want to do business with us? We don't need you. We don't. We That's walk that, around. That was their thing. They were like, walk around. Well, you didn't. Yeah, yeah. Now you do. <laughs> yeah, but, now maybe. But, um, but thankfully, we're not using um, customs houses anymore. Right. Um, and, and it's interesting because the custom house is right next to the Staten Island Ferry. Mm. And um, they used to ferry people from Ellis Island, where the Statue of Liberty is, mm. into the customs house. So they would ship them over and then make them wait on this super long line. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, obviously check their names again and see if they're sick and all that other stuff. But like, it's a huge building. It's like, an enormous building. The, where the museum takes up is like one very small part of what that building actually is. Mm. Um, and that's where predominantly the custom like the trade and stuff was done but i know that that building houses like a bunch of federal agencies yeah um very a lot of security mm-hmm. um but it's very cool we should go down there one time yeah. because um they have a really cool exhibit on at the moment about um native new yorkers which uh has just started in the last year and will probably be up well, hopefully forever but Oh, cool. It's really good. And I, I brought um, – I was just there this week with the students I had from out of town because I wanted to teach them about Indigenous New Yorkers. Um, and I don't – I'm not – I'm not de- – I can't do that. So <laughs> I thought I'd bring them to this beautiful building and show them. But anyway, we digress. Um, so there are a few different policies that kind of helped uh, the Allied powers. So there was cash and carry, which allowed U.S. to trade arms with belligerent nations as long as they came to the U.S. to retrieve them and pay for them in cash. America on brand here. <laughs> There's the Lend-Lease, which allowed the president, so this is Roosevelt, to Lend-Lease sell barter arms, ammunition, food, or defense articles or information to government of any country he desired, vital to the, fe- de- vital to the defense of the U.S. And then those programs together sided the U.S. with the British and French against the Nazis, which ultimately um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So post-World War II, US became very interventionist, um, motivated, as you said, by the goal of containing communism. Just like, and I'm, this is off the top of my head, but like this is actually contributed to the start of like so many big issues in other countries. And the one that I probably know the most about, but honestly haven't read up on in years is the FARC in Colombia. So it's the F-A-R-C. I can't remember how to say it in Spanish, who were a legitimate political party who tried to rise in, I think in the 1940s or 50s, but the US perceived them as a threat. So they funded this paramilitary group to come and like eliminate them. And then the FARC ended up being, and I don't know if they're still continuing today, the longest running terrorist organization in the world. Um, and this was these paramilitary groups were, were created by the US. Like, yeah. Um, and so yeah, they've done this in a lot of countries. That's yeah. kind of like the same thing that people said happened with ISIS. I think the- ISIS spurs from Al Qaeda, which are right. So like it's like so it was Al Qaeda, and then ISIS was like a branch of Al Qaeda, which was um, Islamic State in the Levant. It's actually ISIL is probably a better descriptive word, mm-hmm. or just IS. But like so, basically, it was like a, a, a breakout of Al Qaeda in a specific region, and then it's sort of like they are kind of like homies now, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Al Qaeda was um, funding of, uh, so it definitely was um, some military training. For off the top of my head, it's like we were helping fund some things in. Afghanistan? It was Afghanistan and early Iraq stuff. Well, we, where America funded both sides of the Iran Iraq exactly. war. Exactly. And then the reason why Al Qaeda got so, their knickers in a knot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to downplay this incredibly serious thing. But the reason that 9 11 kind of happened is because um, America put military troops in Saudi Arabia and that really pissed them off because they're like, you have no right to be here. Um, but it's all way too complicated and I, again, haven't studied it for like a decade. So, yeah. um, But off the top of my head, that's sort of what it is. But, yes, definitely. And I think that there was a joke about that. Do you watch The Boys? No. Okay, so it's really good. It's on Amazon Prime. But it's basically a show about superheroes being around but, like, they're assholes. So, like, which actually would <laughs> is probably how it would be. Yeah. But there's one who's been, like, he doesn't age. So he's very old but he'd been taken by Russia, like, back in the day and – tortured and whatever and um they turned on the news and he, he was like afghanistan they're on our side <laughs> like, i fought with those guys and i was just like that's a great joke <laughs> so anyway so yeah it is it is a lot of like funding one side and it's the same thing with like saddam hussein right like he was funded like america wanted him in power and what happens is oftentimes, and like, again, like, I'm sorry, because I didn't research into this because I didn't realize the conversation would go in this direction, but um, it's interesting how many, and it's not just the US who does this because England have done this, France have done this. They'll often come into a country and they'll support a minority group to be in government against a majority population, which is arguably what is happening here right now. And um, and then that they'll inevitably become tyrannical and then America will be like, what y'all are being so mean and they'll come yeah. in and like kill the dude so like it's crazy like how this cycles around this like it happened just, in haiti yeah. it happened yeah. in haiti mm. like i like my my parents grew up in it mm. where um haiti where america came and was like all right cool we're gonna like occupy your country for a while and then 
on their way out, they completely loot the banks of all the gold and shit like that. And then what ends up happening is Haiti doesn't have a president for more than a year for like 20 years. And then this one guy takes over. Mm. Um, he wins an election. And then what he does is he goes, oh, the problem with Haiti is the fact that the military has so much power. So what he does is he takes first he first he dangles communism <laughs> in front of America. They go, "No, no, we'll give you US aid." So they give him US aid, and then he uses that money, he takes guns from the military and creates a civilian or voluntary military force and then basically takes the power away from the military and those are his guys now. And he rules Haiti for 30 years. Uh, well, his family rules Haiti for 30 years. And then, you know, the U.S. goes, this is a corrupt country. This is a corrupt country. And they help facilitate him getting um, getting that family out of the country. And then they try to install some other folks. And it's just coup after coup after coup after coup. Like, it's just the instigation of mess over and over and over again. Uh, the, the CIA is hard at work. Yes. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's just so, it's also so to me, like when you think about like the ideals that America is like founded on, which like whatever, but like the idea of like freedom and autonomy and individualism and like, it's so antithetical to like all of this behavior. Yeah. Like they're like, no, but like we're right. So like everything we're doing is obviously great and perfect. And so we're going to come in and tell you how to run your country. Um, even though you pose no real existential threat to the country that spends, you know, who's the biggest, whose military is the biggest employer in the entire world. Yeah. Uh, like there's no existential threat there. There's no existential threat to their allies, for example. And even then, like I had an argument with a American, an Asian American, I don't know if he was a scholar or a government employee, but he worked with, America's Asian engagement and he was in Australia and he was talking about the South China Sea, which obviously America, I think we've spoken about this yeah. before. Obviously Super America important. sees a problem. Super important. And I was like, area. cool. So like y'all fix it. And he's like, oh, well it's in your, it's like kind of near you guys. I'm like, why the fuck do we follow <laughs> you into every single fucking war? Yeah. If you are not going to do anything about this thing that is happening in our region. Yeah. Like I just don't know. Like it's, it's so hard to like, wrap my head around and and australia is so in america's pocket by the way mm -hmm. that is probably the most like one of the closest political relationships of any countries like australia and new zealand are cool because like we have like our kind of like mini european union where we can work and like play in each other's countries but like as like you probably know i'm on a special visa here as an australian yeah. that is only available to australians wow um because of our involvement in the iraq war um, we have an incredibly, like to the point where our prime minister wouldn't even stand up to Donald Trump. Um, like it's just ridiculous. Um, so anyway, we actually cover a lot of the stuff. Like it's crazy how that conversation just went right into like the stuff that was in my notes anyway. So yeah. like we should talk a little bit about foreign policy today, particularly in regards to Ukraine. And again, I don't know huge amounts about that conflict specifically, but I would like to just talk about the way it's made people think about US foreign policy. Yeah. So like post-Cold War, um, which like is our lifetime, like Cold War ended in what, 1991? Yeah. So like we're both. 
little. Yeah, yeah that's um, when the Soviet Union fell. Yeah. In 1991. Um, US became a sole leader in world affairs. Um, and so it that's kind of when the military industrial complex had gotten to this crazy point and then like there's no like Cold War anymore. Yeah. Um, and then like there was like a period of like relative like peace-ish question mark between 1991 and 2001. <laughs> well, like, well, it wasn't I don't know. peace, peace but like but, it was yeah. definitely like the war on terror was, oh, the war, the Cold War was over and the war on terror hadn't yet begun, right? Yeah, but we were like bombing the shit out of Iraq. Yes. The, we, were, we had the absolutely. USS Cole that got attacked. But in terms of like the Libya, existential well, threat kind of Kenya. in the public yeah. Uh, discourse. Yeah, it was relatively. I'm not going to say it's peace because it wasn't peace. And People in Middle America were happy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there was a period of time of ten blissful years where the Cold War had ended and the War on Terror had not yet begun. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when we were children, so. Uh, yes. It's the reason why people love 90s nostalgia. Yeah, it's exactly probably why. And, and it's crazy that you <laughs> watch The Matrix and they're like, oh, this was a peak of humanity. And you're in the 90s, you're like, ha ha. And yeah. now you're like, god damn. It like, actually I was. I do keep watching <laughs> 90s shows. Yeah. It was a peaceful time. It actually was the peak. Yeah. This is it. Like I watched Independence Day and I was like, god, this is just like. And also, I just love Independence Day because it's actually written by a German and they yeah. use like kilometers. <laughs> and like, and I'm like, no Americans can be doing that. But um, I, yeah, it is. 90s was an interesting time. Um, I'm glad we got to be in it and have somewhat of a childhood. Uh, and then, of course, 9-11 happened. Um, and the world was never the same. And the world was never the same. And it's interesting because <laughs> cool. I was with these students who were like 21, 22. Yeah. Um, and I was just like talking about the 9-11 memorial and – I was like, oh, I found it really like, you know, moving and whatever. But like, I remembered 9-11 and I realized that some of these kids like- Were born. Yeah, were just born. Yeah. Um, And I was like, you might have a, you've just never lived in a, in a world that wasn't that. Yeah. And maybe that doesn't mean as much to you. I don't know. Like, actually, I should really get in touch with them because they went after I saw them. So I haven't actually had a chance to, but I'd be really interested to hear. And maybe one of them would be happy to record something. Hi there, my name is James. I'm 21 this year and I'm from Malaysia. And what number one really mean to me is that um, it was a horrific tragedy that took place on the September 11th that took away many lives. And the thing that shocked me is that, you know, no one had, no one had anticipated this and, uh, and this has resulted in, you know, massive loss of lives. And, uh, you know, by visiting the museum, I just, I could feel the emotional attachment to the site uh, when I actually went through the uh the debris, the building pieces that that have been left behind. I can just feel, you know, I can just hear those uh, crying sounds. I can hear mixed emotions as well. Something to do, something, you know, I just feel that connection, you know, with those who have uh, lost their lives, regardless of whether they are frontliners or they are civilians. It's they're, really they're, night and day. Yeah, it's night and day. Like you have the '90s, where mm. um, you know everything's kind of about everything's a little bit about discovery. Everything's peaceful. Everything is like chill. And then 9/11 happens, and then like it's terror alerts. It's fucking 
technology is moving at Oh, we did miss out on the millennium bug, which was yeah. the existential threat of 1999. Right, right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Which, like, in retrospect, is like, yeah. and, wild uh, that we cared. Like, it's yeah. just such a small like, My parents had ass stocked, like, a year's worth of canned food. Oh, my in God. Our basement. Oh, my God. And then, God. like, when, 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 the, when Y2K didn't happen... <laughs> We were like, fuck, we got a lot of canned food. <laughs> yeah. It was oh like God. it was like crazy. But um, that's the only major thing. Like I do remember being in primary school and being somewhat worried about Saddam Hussein. I probably like heard about him on the news and then yeah. like blew it up in my mind. But I know that like before 9-11, there was still like Al-Qaeda was present before then and yeah. there was still like issues. It's just like it wasn't the same as what it is now and My even uncle now just started at the mta when um uh the car the the van mm, that mm. was over at at world trade mm, mm. that was like, like exploded four years previous or something it was like 94 oh yeah, yeah yeah um um and and my uncle was like downtown for that and then i don't know why and i'm not trying to get my uncle in trouble but this motherfucker was down there for 9-11 too this these dishes crazy. Mongo was like, man, I seen everything. I seen it all. Cause he's a uh, he's an engineer. Mm. He's an engineer for the MTA. So I can't like, even yeah I can't yeah. even imagine what it was like here. Cause even in Australia, it was like wild. Yeah, and that was my sister was just a baby too. Um. I think maybe one of my sisters was a baby and my stepmom. Oh, no. My sister was like just born. My sister's September 3rd, 2001. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's like an insane thing to happen. Yeah. Right after like. You're born. Yeah. Right um, after you give birth. You're like. Yeah. Is this shit over? Yeah. Is this whole <laughs> world over? Like they're attacking America now? Yeah. Uh, and that really shifted everything. And I think that it's hard for people who didn't. And even for us, I mean, we were still just like teenagers, but like, I think it's kind of hard to like, it was, it was really interesting. I'd never actually thought to try to explain it to someone who didn't live through it before. And I was like, wow, this is a really big inflection point in it all was, of our lives. Yeah. It was super weird to be there. Like, um, literally I was standing in seventh grade and I was looking outside and, and the clouds are just fucking black. And I, and like I I swear, every kid in that in that like because I was in elementary school, so like the higher grades had the top mm. floor. So it was like sixth, seventh. It was fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I swear, everybody grew up that day. <laughs> Everyone grew up that. Everybody was like, "Oh shit, we gotta stop playing games, mm. and we gotta like do something." You know what I mean? Like it, the world was never the same after. Everything just kind of just became. We just started living in anxiety. Mm -hmm. That's what I think it was. It was just constant anxiety. Kept playing everything on TV for like oh, two ages. months, yeah, two months straight. And then right after they were done with two months of showing the planes, then they just started showing the military pulling mm -hmm. up in Afghanistan every day for another two months, and then. 
after that, they just started showing terror alerts. Mm-hmm. It feels like America always needs like an existential threat, except for when it's COVID. And then apparently they don't want that. To, they don't want this existential threat. Well, because this one has a different economic effect. Yeah. So the economic effect. Of war. For the war is positive, right? Mm-hmm. And it's positive because um, the war on drugs created jobs. Um, it created asset forfeitures. Um, it and also it created more jobs, right? So you had to hire cops, you took drugs, you put people in jail, which means you create economies again because you have to open up more prisons. prisons Modern day slave trade, right? Also. Right. So you you open up more prisons, businesses open businesses and homes open around those prisons because people need to live by those prisons because they work at those prisons, they got to eat. So restaurants open. Those are positive economic factors, mm-hmm. these wars, right? COVID is the reverse. It, it's only positive for one sector. I would say it's for pharma mm. um, or healthcare, right? But then, like, it literally takes the rest of the economy. People are like, oh, all right, I'm not going outside. Mm. And businesses are like, whoa, 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 you have to go outside, Right. So they're like, no, no, no. COVID's over. COVID's over. COVID's over. But I'm hearing people still catching that shit. Mm-hmm. And it's no, worse. No, there's a massive spike now. I'm fucking yeah. terrified. Yeah. I like, I'm just like, give me another vaccination. Give yeah. me all the vaccinations. I've had it twice. It's fucking awful. I don't want it again. I've had like such a massive, and not as bad as you, obviously. Yeah. But like, I've had massive long-term effects of COVID that like, I swear to God, I've aged like, 10 years in like two years like it feels like um so i don't want that shit again but there's a massive spike at the moment and people just aren't wearing fucking masks yeah on the subway the subway is disgusting just wear a mask i don't know like i just feel like (laughs) i'm always going to like and people kind of look at me strange yeah dude it's gross it's gross in here they're like girl covid's over you're like no it's It's not not. Nobody but even said if it's, it's not done. COVID, I don't want yeah. the fucking flu from you. Like yeah. this, this subway is gross. Like I got sicker than I ever have in my life after moving to New York. Like yeah. it's such a con- it's such a condensed city. Like it's you get bad diseases here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so today's war, more conveniently, um, the whole Ukraine thing is causing a major rethinking of U.S. foreign policy away from terrorism and kind of moving towards this idea of. Um, like Asian interest and Europe and the Pacific kind of and America versus like the world, I guess. You know what I mean? Like West versus like the East, I guess yeah. we could say if we're going to put it that way, because it's also like, it's, it's not just, I mean, Ukraine is obviously trying to join the European union and that's more like former USSR countries, which America has aside from Donald Trump's bestie friendship has never really been like allied with, um, but definitely moving towards Asia being the new like evil enemy. Yeah, it feels China. like yeah, and, and TikTok is where it starts. <laughs> they're like, yo, TikTok, <laughs> they're taking everything. <laughs> but um, with with Ukraine, so Ukraine is really interesting because you know the the whole issue with Ukraine was always that well, it's not that Russia never did recognize its. It's freedom. Russia actually officially recognized Ukraine as its own country. They recognized their sovereignty. And Putin essentially used his speech to walk that back. 
and his explanation was, hey, like we gave it to them, you know, like we gave it to them and, and like we now have to go and take it back. And it's like, you cannot give a country its sovereignty. You can't give it to them, right? And then if you do give it to them, like you definitely can't take it back. Mm-mm. Like, ain't no way you just taking it, taking a whole independence back. You just pull up, hey guys, we don't want you to be independent anymore after we let you come home. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't work that way, right? So, like, also, I mean, we don't want to get too much into Israel, but I just don't think it lasts very well when people are like yo. <laughs> I don't know. It's just not on us to give sovereignty and draw lines, you know? And that's obviously happened on many occasions. Well, drawing the lines are the reason why we're here, right? Because if you look at, if you look at Ukraine, um, the eastern half of Ukraine is essentially Russian. And the western half of Ukraine is western. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, what I would argue is Ukrainian, right? So we actually avoid this entire issue if the eastern part of Ukraine actually stayed with Russia. But, like, who drew that line? That was the Axis powers that drew that line. They were and like, it yeah, always this is. is us. Right. Like, look so- at fucking India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. Like, the whole split, they split. Like, it, the amount of fucking death and shit that happened because of that, yeah. for example. The amount of bullshit that's happened because everybody felt really guilty and was like, here, have Israel back. And Palestinians are like, what? What do you mean? Like, <laughs> like you just carving up our crib? Okay, like, cool. What, you want to give him some of your fucking land? Like, it's like, yeah, it's like fucking, like, yeah. can you imagine if India and China were like, Yo, look, we really fucked up against indigenous peoples. So we're just going to like carve out this part of the US for indigenous people that we wronged. And that's going to be like their homeland because that's like where they're from originally. And you're all just like, what? Yeah, but they did it in like the middle of Mississippi. Yeah. Where like the most racist of racist people live. Right? Like, Like that's essentially what england and the u.s keep doing mm-hmm. other places mm-hmm. and like you know that's that's just the whole study of what sociology and i guess uh what is called anthro i can never pronounce it but um but essentially like you cannot just be drawing lines and not knowing who lives where right mm. like because if you don't know who lives where um and you just draw lines then what ends up happening is what's always been happening. Mm-hmm. So so the issue this time around with, with foreign policy in the United States is how aggressive the U.S. was with Russia after they invaded Ukraine. I don't think anyone expected the West, especially the U.S., to react the way it did. Um, especially what they did with sanctions and how they used the financial system against the United States. They never expected to see that. And as a result, what happened was um, many countries have decided that they want to be less reliant on the United States because at any point it could be them. Mm-hmm. And they never want it to be them. Mm-hmm. So, so, what, so the actions against Russia has actually softened the U.S.'s influence. I mean, a lot of what America has is, like, the two things that America primarily has is, like, 
soft power and and military might, which I know sound like they're contradictory, but like the thing that America has done very uh, well and that I think you can kind of see it almost coming undone in the ways that, um, you know, K-pop has become really influential, for example. But like America has certainly used like the media and Hollywood to be like this dominant force in the world and then obviously the military. But outside of that, it doesn't really feel like America has as much power anymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've been talking for a while. I think we should take a quick break and then we're going to talk about international law. And we're back. All right. So this is what I think is like quite interesting is America and international law because America <laughs> doesn't really follow international law. <laughs> what? They're like, we made international law. We don't have to follow it. This is where the whole like cult behavior comes in of like, being not accountable to any authorities. Because obviously, you know, there's no military for international law except for the militaries that make up the governments that would enforce it. And that's USA. Exactly. So the idea of creating international law came out of World War II. Um, It's typically rooted in, like, principles of reciprocity, mutual respect, justice, and peace. Um, the adoption of a lot of treaties happened post-World War II for protections for people so that these things wouldn't happen again. Human rights. There is a Security Council, which I just think is the most hilarious thing ever and um, was lucky enough to be at the UN last week with um, one of their employees who I know and I was having a laugh about the fact that France is one of the permanent members of the Security Council. So, like, the five permanent members of the Security Council, and they all have veto power, right? are US, UK, France, China, and Russia. And, like, France has no business being on there. Frankly, the UK doesn't really either at this point. (laughs) And, like, it's crazy to me that, like, India isn't on there. And there's literally no representative from any African country or any Middle Eastern country. It is, like, very stacked, you know. And so, but the thing is, they're never going to expand it because they'll just fucking veto that shit. They don't want to lose their power. Right. So this veto power is kind of ridiculous because it means that like anything that's not in one of these five countries' interests um, is often vetoed. Yeah. Um, But then the other members of the council, it's like 10 other members, I think. This is off the top of my head. um, And they're elected every five, 10 years. So they're on the council for quite some time. I think Australia's on there at the moment, actually. Mm. Um, so the U S doesn't always cooperate with, uh, human rights, as I said, when it, um, impedes on its, uh, national interest. Um, so some examples are the UN convention on the rights of persons with disabilities that was modeled on the Americans with disabilities act of 1990. Um, it would protect disabled Americans when traveling overseas, but it was denied a Senate ratification based on spurious charges. It would impinge on homeschooling. (laughs) <laughs> interestingly okay. um the un convention on law of the sea was blocked by 34 republican senators in 2012 on the grounds it would bind us to third-party arbitration so this often leaves international laws um open to be directed by other world powers so like they'll be like okay we're making this law but then america's like we're not part of this treaty 
you know. Mm -hmm. So generally, US military interventionism seems to signal a diminishing respect for international law, which regards force as a last resort, as opposed to America, who seems to regard it as a first resort. Um, So this has been particularly (laughs) bad post 9-11 when the US, um, you know, embraced military force in an unprecedented manner using tactics like indefinite detention, torture, kidnapping of terrorism subjects. Um, I'm going to say fucking drone strikes of like completely bullshit um, targets. And this is not just, you know, since 9-11, it's also happened before. Um, There has been a use of military force to promote human rights, which is a hilarious kind of sentence in a way. Um, Bombing Iraq to help the Kurds um, and the Shias with no regard for the UN Charter. Um, So the recent intervention in Syria also, also violated international law, the drone attacks uh, are un- unlawful use of force compared to inter- um, unlawful use of force in international law, as is things like arming rebels, um, et cetera, et cetera. But there seem to be no repercussions. Um, so America is above the law, is what I'm understanding. Wow. Way to bring the whole episode full circle. And the only, like, the the thing that's funny is I think we had this conversation, there was a big, um, and for those of you who don't live in the States, there was a big, like, panic about the World Health Organization, this is what we talked about, yeah. um, and China being their second biggest donor, and Carl posted something about it, and I was like, Carl, who was the first biggest donor? <laughs> that is also scary. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I think is really interesting and a conversation that's been happening in the last few weeks is access to safe abortion services is considered a human right. Um, so under, under international human rights law, everyone has a right to life, a right to health, and a right to be free from violence, discrimination, and torture, or cruel, inhumane, and degrading treatment. And so that spells out clearly that decisions about your body are yours alone, and this is what is known as bodily autonomy. So forcing someone to carry an unwanted pregnancy or seek out an unsafe abortion is a violation of human rights, including the right to privacy and bodily autonomy. But America doesn't follow. I mean, America doesn't follow, but like in theory, like this is the kind of thing that another country would do and America would be like, we're going to come in and bomb you for your rights, you know? (laughs) So like this is absolutely like, yeah. Um, To me, just, yeah. I don't know. How do you feel about it? You're American. So for me as an Australian, it's like, damn, like that's crazy. Australia would never. You know, it's... It's kind of like the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah. Right? Um, And, you know, all of the major international institutions are headquartered in the United States. The International Monetary Fund is in D.C. uh, UN is in New York. The administrative. Yeah. Not all of it, but yeah. Because a lot of it is also in, um, like, Geneva and stuff. That too. But... um, there, like New York is also, yeah, an international city. Mm-hmm. So, so being that all of this stuff is heavily funded by the US, mm. um, either headquartered or a major center is in either DC or New York. Um, they're just like, yo, we're gonna make the fucking rules, that's mm. what we're gonna do. And, and because we made the rules, we don't have to follow them, yeah, you have to follow them because do we as I say, not as I do, right? We um, made the rules. Yes, that was definitely a parenting strategy in my family. Um, (laughs) And Trump really flamed the fires on this. So he, you know, has broken away from many 
of the international institutions, or definitely even if he didn't actually do it, talked about wanting to break away from many of these international institutions um, because he didn't care so much about allies, which is an interesting strategy. But certainly this sort of spurred on a domestic attitude towards um, international institutions and America, America's involvement, and certainly from a financial perspective, um, kind of feeling that the international uh, organizations don't really serve U.S. interests, which is interesting because it brings us right back to the beginning of the foundation of America yeah. and its isolationist policies. And so I'm interested to see how this goes, particularly as it seems pretty evident that America's power is declining, as we've said, um, which is like a pretty a pretty brave time to be like, fuck you to the international community. Yeah. Um, I don't really feel like this has been Biden's presidency, but like definitely the the everyday on the street sentiment seems to be less for international international institutions. So Yeah. Um it's you know it it really started it really started, I would argue, under Trump. Like you mentioned before, with him backing mm. out of the Paris Accords, and then him stating as his opening, his inaugural speech, "America first, right, setting the stage that there is a clear stance here that we're going to put ourselves first. And there's a writer, his name is Ian Bremmer. He wrote a book called "Every him, yeah. Every Man for Himself." Mm-hmm. I think it was called, and it was like. Um, America's position in a G zero world. And essentially he like creates a scenario where America is no longer the world's like leaning, like, like essentially he says that there's no more G seven and like what the world looks like when there's no more G seven. And it's just like these smaller clusters of clans that like work together instead of this whole like huge global community. But also as a result, like there's just an increased level of conflict. Right. Um, and that, and to me, at least the way I looked at it, I'm like, Oh, so essentially uh, another world war. Right. Because that's how it happened last time. Right. So um, it's interesting to see how the world kind of moves forward from now. Um, but man, this shit is fucking scary to live in unprecedented times. I kind of want- I'm pretty tired of it, to be honest. Like, yeah. we are drinking at midday. Yeah. It feels right. Um, <laughs> I want precedented times. Back. I really would like some precedented <laughs> times. Um, and our age group specifically. And, like, I don't think I, I. I mean, obviously, like, I guess in a level, maybe we're biased, but it does feel like we specifically have lived through a lot of fuckery. Yeah. It's hard to reconcile living in America, especially as a woman right now, when you're not American. And particularly as I'm like, you know, it was up at 6 a.m. dealing with like immigration bullshit. And it's like, yeah, I'm jumping through so many hoops to live in this country because I love living in New York. But it's, I can, I love living in New York. And New York, I do believe, is a really special place that is very different from the rest of the world. And I don't think there's another city like it. But trying to reconcile the fact that I live in America is becoming more and more difficult with these ongoing decisions. Um, So it'll be interesting to see where things go. Just like the deci- the decision making of like, and just the supreme, it's just a dictatorship. But like, I I just want I just want, and it's not going to be Biden because he just doesn't have, unless he I don't know. Do you think he'll just like he's waiting for the midterms and then he, or a second term and then he's going to like, 
If he gets one. His Twitter is insane. His Twitter is like he's not the president. He's like, we must do something. And people just keep replying being like, yo, I'm going to look it up. All you have to do. They're like, yo, you're the president. You got one job. You can either expand the court. You can codify Roe. There are lots of things that you could have done. All you got to do is either you got your choices, fam. Codify Roe. Expand the court. Wipe everybody's student loans. Just pick one out of a hat. Pick one out of a hat and we will stop complaining. Someone was just like, just legalize weed, dude. Just legalize weed. <laughs> people <laughs> we people would right be now. happy. He posts these things where it's like, you wouldn't think he's the president. You would just think he's some like old dude tweeting. And you're like. He hey. is just some old dude tweeting. <laughs> That's really what it is. He is. Yeah. He is that. Also, as we record this, Boris Johnson just quit being Prime Minister of England. Yeah. Of the UK, sorry. Because his whole cabinet said peace out. Yeah, that's the thing that always was happening in Australia all the time. Yeah. Where they would like, Australia would be like, I'm, they're like, I ain't get the fuck out. with you no more. Um, so that's pretty funny. Um, we'll see what happens in the UK. But everything's insane. Well, you know, maybe they'll go back to the EU. I mean. Nah, doubt it. Which upsets me because I really want, I have a personal interest in the UK joining the EU. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, we will see how this all goes. And we will just continue to talk about it on this podcast. That's it. It's kind of nice. <laughs> like at this stage, I'm just like, let's just hang out and just chat about this yeah, shit. Yeah, let's just get drunk. <laughs> talk about how we're fucked. And then come back and do it again. <laughs> 100%. So sort of like on this in the same vein, um, I think next episode we're going to be talking about uh, propaganda. Mm. So are we going to talk about um, Joseph Goebbels? Um. I, if it's who I think you're talking about, then sure. I it's definitely um, very linked. I think to the Nazi propaganda machine. Soft, no, no, like this soft power that the US has. So I'm really interested to talk about it. Okay. Um, both like, yeah, both local propaganda and international propaganda. But nice. in any case, until next time, see you later. Until next time, y'all. Thanks for listening. Cult America is co-hosted and produced by us, Lisa Charlotte and Carl Joseph Black. Our production partner is Three Springs Media. Our research assistant is Thea Smith and our artwork is by Estella Illustrated. Soundtrack is by King Virtue and So Soon. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps. We release bonus episodes there where we cover American movies. You can get in touch with us at cultusapod.com. You can leave comments on the episodes or you can contact us through the contact form. You can also find us on Twitter at cultusapod. If you want to be featured in an upcoming episode, please send a voice clip to the email address in our show notes. And that's it. See you later. My ancestors ain't died for me to be taking shit from no crackers You want me to preach peace, but my frequency is on ratchet Don't wanna protest when a whole ratchet Don't wanna hold tep a whole balance Every chant for white lies, a rant of white lies So we show them that black lives matter Last night I had a dream The cops were harassing me